Alright, welcome back to the Bit Beacon. We are here with episode 005 on October 24th, 2003. Um, this is our fifth episode. I kind of think it's a milestone. It is. It is a milestone. Anyways, maybe we're going to go celebrate afterwards. I think so. Um, but uh, let's just kick things off immediately, how we usually do, with uh, what we've been playing, what we've been buying. You want me to go first? You go first. All right. So I picked up one game in the last week, um, Super Mario Brothers Wonder for the Nintendo Switch. I have not yet started it because I'm still playing Final Fantasy 16, and I'll probably be playing Final Fantasy 16 for the next month. But uh, Super Mario Wonder is out. People, critics are hailing it as, like, yeah, the next, like, the best... 2D Mario game in 20 plus years. I've seen the reviews. They're like off the chart. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's just a game, but I did have a bit of an interesting story acquiring my copy of the game. Uh, I got up early on launch day, which was last Friday, and I went down to my local Target because they had like a special purchase bonus, this uh, kind of foam shadow box um, that I thought looked pretty cool, and it was just a bonus for buying the game there, so I thought, why not? So I'm out at the Target. I'm there for an hour. They finally open up. I go back to the electronics department. I'm waiting 10 minutes for the electronics guy because he's in the back pulling all the games. And he comes out, and he's got the games, but he's got no purchase bonuses. And he tells me, oh, those are online only. Yeah. And I'm immediately like, no, that's not true. (laughs) In the ad, it says you can get it here at the store. And he's like, well, we never got them. Um, so I'm like, okay, well... So he starts ringing me up, actually. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, no, I'm not interested. Yeah. Like, I, I, the reason I'm here is for the purchase bonus. I can get the copy of the game anywhere. I can almost guarantee you that he did get them. He just doesn't know. Maybe. You know what's weird, though, is that this guy at this Target usually always has his stuff, like, on time. He's always there every Friday of a major game release. yeah. yeah. And he was really good about getting me the Zelda fanny pack earlier this year. Uh, A previous year, there was, like, this really nice metal bottle for the Super Mario 3D World port to the Switch. Um, Anyways, he's he's always been on top of his stuff, so I was really shocked when he had no idea what was going on. I did end up, after work, going to another Target, and they thankfully knew immediately what I was talking about and had them at the ready. And so I did get my Shadow Box. I did have to, like... You know, go a little bit out of my way to find it. Unfortunately, this is a problem with a lot of bonus. Oh god, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. and different retailers too. Yeah, I mean, GameStop they usually know if they have an in-store bonus. They're probably the best at it. Really? In my experience, yeah. If GameStop is like, we have a steel book or we have this as a purchase bonus, like they'll have it. Now, whether you get there early enough to actually get it, because yeah. usually these stores don't. They don't, like, let's say they have 200 pre-orders for a game, they get 50 of these bonuses. So you, that means you have to be one of the first 50 people there, otherwise they're like, oh, sorry, we don't have any more. Yeah, they're, yeah, they run out and they don't ship more of those. Yeah, and the other thing is GameStop used to be, if you pre-ordered online, they would ship your bonus to you, Mm -hmm. but now there's just a little disclaimer on the page that says, print your order form and take it to the store to get your, your pre-order bonus after the game launches. And is that better? No, because the people at the store don't want to give the online people the bonus. 
they they want to save that for their in-store pre-orders, the people who help boost oh, their I numbers see. up. Oh, I see. right. Like that doesn't guarantee you one. No, I no, see. no. Like when... Uh, for Zelda earlier this year, I went around and got like almost all the little purchase bonuses at all the locations, and then I just later returned the games. Right. Um, <laughs> um, but I went to GameStop specifically with my online purchase or my online order form printed out, and he's like, "Oh, dude, like I don't even have very many. Like I need to give it to the people in store." But I was like, "Dude, it's the collector's edition. You couldn't even pre-order the collector's edition in store." And that was like, it got got me a little bit of sympathy, and I'm kind of a regular there, so he's like. He actually gave me the purchase bonus like early, like before the 9 p.m. like launch event that they were doing that night. Wow. He just like waited till the other person who was in the store was out and just handed it to me real quick, and I just left. Um, but I also pre-ordered a second copy of Mario Wonder from Walmart mm-hmm. because they also had a purchase bonus. Oh right, for this special set of Super Mario Brothers Wonder trading cards. Um, there, there's like, I think 60 some of these cards in the set in the set. And there is one of the cards that there is only a thousand of made and they're individually stamped. Like what number out of a thousand the card is. Oh, wow. And I have seen these cards. I kid you not go for over a thousand dollars on eBay already, already this elephant Mario card. That's only one out of a thousand. So I haven't opened my booster pack. I'm not going to. I'm just going to leave it sealed because I feel like I can pretend there's an elephant Mario card in here, right. but if I open it then yeah. and there's not, then it's like, well, I don't even care anymore. I don't know. I feel like you, you think should I should open, open it. I do think so. Uh, but it's sealed and crispy. Yeah, you know? but I think you should open it for the audience. Oh, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> that peer pressure doesn't work on me. Um, uh, but uh, It doesn't. I mean, I don't know. It. I would open it. I know you would. Okay. I've got self-control, dude. All right. Um, one other little thing I wanted to mention is that while I was at GameStop uh, this weekend for an unrelated reason, I saw that they had the Super Mario Brothers Wonder full game download cards, mm-hmm. and I had to go home with one because they've got this really nice, cool foil finish to them that I've never seen on one of these download cards before. And if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say download card, this is for the people who, for some reason, want to buy it digitally, but go into the store to buy it digitally. To, to buy it digitally. Right. Um, which, I mean, I guess that's a cool <laughs> way to do it. At least you get like some little physical token right. with your purchase. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, I sometimes collect these for certain games I own physically, and I just stick them inside the, the case along with the game card. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, but other than that, that's the only thing I've bought. I've been continuing to play Final Fantasy 16. I'm really enjoying it. The combat has opened up a lot. Um, you start to gain, over the course of the game, you gain uh, the abilities of, the elemental abilities of the different, uh, I don't want to call them monsters, but the summons that Final Fantasy is traditionally known for having are not called summons in this game. They're called icons. Mm-hmm. And individual characters in this world, uh, basically the icon inhabits them, or you inhabit the icon, and they can essentially summon it from themselves oh, to see. be to manifest that, that icon. That's a new way um, of doing it. Yeah, it is. Um, and over the course of the game, the protagonist uh, is able to like take a piece of that power from the different people who have these icons manifested, and it... Uh, 
it adds to your arsenal and you can switch cycle between the different icon powers at any time mm -hmm. and it allows you to kind of chain things together in unique ways and as I continue to progress the story I'm gaining more icon abilities and the combat is continuing to open up in cool and unexpected ways right and then it, eventually it'll become this big complex combat system yeah it's getting there yeah and yeah. it's it always takes a little bit of adjusting I get like a new icon set of powers and I'm sort of apprehensive I've grown like really comfortable using the ones I've had access to because mm -hmm. uh, they space out these abilities like I don't know 10 hours apart you know so like you get really comfortable and then you get a new set and then like it feels weird at first but then you start to go oh oh you know yeah and you know you just start seeing new possibilities in your head and it's fun to uh enact them into the game one critique i have about final fantasy 15 one of the very few critiques is this is a different game than 16 right we're talking about now yeah i know um is the way they did the summons i just felt like it was underwhelming oh really they look super cool mm -hmm. but just the mechanic of how they work yeah. it, so it's good to hear that that's done yeah i mean the summons uh like there just aren't summons really mm -hmm. right, um, right like you there are times in the story where you get to essentially play as the summons um but like you don't have the ability to just do that whenever you want like the story necessitates that you're having these like icon battles right and it's they're they're really cool they're super cinematic um they're a little like scripted like it kind of feels like it's hard to lose those particular encounters uh but it's not impossible um to to lose them but they do seem pretty forgiving i think they want you to have just like a whoa that was awesome not not like oh i died 10 times trying to like complete that segment you know right they learned their lesson from back in the day with yeah. that i think uh i mean the the main game is still easy you know when you're just playing as the protagonist clive to run low on health um and you know they they let you do get potions but they're capped you can only have like four regular potions and three uh, high potions so you can't just stock up and have is it one of those kind of games that has like a like a storage away from your inventory or? no when you gather a potion that and you're already maxed on that particular potion it just applies a potion to your health bar immediately oh, okay so if they don't totally go to waste unless your health also happens to be full gotcha. but the game is pretty smart about knowing like you just got out of a really tough encounter so in the area that precedes that tough encounter you're likely to find some potions and stuff and chests mm -hmm. or whatever nearby i got gotcha. um so it's it's uh you know it's not too difficult although if you start going off the beaten path and you're doing your own thing you're grinding and stuff you could run out of potions um they do have limit break in mm -hmm. this game and when you're in this limit break mode which you have to kind of charge up through like battling and combat over time right. and you get into this really powerful state when you activate the limit break and while you're in this powerful state you do regenerate health like when you're successfully attacking enemies so there are multiple ways to get some health back so limit break is something that usually traditionally comes later in the game is it this... wasn't there from the moment you start the game okay. it did uh it was it was activated through a very important scene in the game when the character's limit was broken you could say so it's it's rather fitting how you get access to it I it's see. not just like a, oh yeah you have this thing and it's always there um that's awesome yeah yeah, yeah. i'm i'm really enjoying final fantasy 16 i know it has 
some criticisms I've heard. You know, people did, didn't blow people as way as maybe as much as they were hoping it would. But I have zero qualms with the game. I'm having a great time. It's way bigger than I thought it was. I remember the first week I talked about it, I was saying it was kind of linear. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm off. Like, there are large open environments. Um, mm-hmm. The map is continually expanding. Um, I mean, there is still a linear element to it. Uh, but uh, it's it's bigger than I anticipated, for sure. I see. Yeah, I can't imagine a fully linear Final Fantasy right. game with no open open. I mean, even Final Fantasy one was open world, right? You know, <laughs> exactly. That's my, that's my yeah. point. Um, so uh, I, in playing more Feta, okay, you know, I kind of got distracted because they told you. Um, I I told everyone. Uh, I had bought quite a few games for um, Super Famicom that right. day, and yeah, I popped in uh, Super Street Fighter Turbo. Okay, uh, and I uh, kind of went a little wild with that. All More right. so, I yeah, I was gonna just kind of play something different for sure. a while, and ended up playing it all week. Okay, um, we'll talk about Super Street Fighter Two Turbo. Yeah, so. Um, Edmund Honda is my guy. E Honda, okay. Yeah, I love him. And then Blanca. Big dude. Blanca is kind of. You like the big guys? Yeah, I do. Okay. Oh, I always like the heavy hitters. <laughs> okay. They're even in um, Soul Calibur. Astroth is one of my. Okay. Maxi is really kind of my guy. Anyways, okay. back to Street Fighter. Um, yeah, I love that game. Um, I played it. I beat uh, Master Bison. Nice. Like probably six times this okay. week. Nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's just it's fun to get old. Retro I forget. Games. Does that game have like a like individual story modes for each player? Or uh, is it just like an arcade mode where M- Bi- Master Bison is the boss at the end? So depending on what character you select, they have their own a list of opponents. Okay, if that makes sense. Gotcha. So you go to the different countries, the different destinations in a certain yeah. order, right. depending on the character. Okay, and. Uh, you don't. I don't think you fight every single character. Okay. You know, in each character's right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just fun to pick up old retro games that you maybe played, uh, and just go to town on them. What version of Street Fighter Two has like the the secret unlock for Akuma? Uh, playable. I think that was the PS One version, if I remember right. Okay, because uh, I know there's like. Five different like it's like it's, Street yeah. Fighter Two, Super Street Fighter Two, Super it's a Street Fighter little II, ridiculous. Alpha, you yeah. know, third, alpha, you know, all these yeah. crazy versions. And I know one of them. If you do some like directional inputs on the character select screen, you can select. There was a um, Super Street Fighter Two tournament mode or something like that. It's called something like that. Okay. And I'm pretty sure it was on PS One, okay. and I think that might be what you're. Yeah, that is the one you're thinking. Of. Okay. Uh, you had to do some crazy stuff on the character select screen, and. Um, well, I mean, the, you got to remember these games were in arcades before they were ever right. On console yeah. Even. Um, SNK and Capcom were kind mm-hmm. of the two kings of the arcade at that time. Uh, but yeah, you did some code on the character select screen, and then I think the question mark mm-hmm. mystery character uh, tile becomes Akuma. Okay. Um, all right. Well, that's cool. Playing yeah. them retro games. Speaking of Akuma, he was totally in Tekken Seven, and I loved that. Yeah. I hated playing as him, and I hated playing against him, but I just love the fact that he's there. Yeah, it's nice to see. Uh, 
Capcom and Bandai Namco still have like a, a friendly right. rivalry and right. play with each other and make games with each other. And they really did Akuma right when, like, in the game, he, they he his character like forgoes all Tekken controls right. and it's a hundred percent Street right. Fighter controls. He even has like a super meter and stuff. It's interesting. Most fighting games have now really embraced guest characters. Mm-hmm. But for whatever reason, Street Fighter, I don't think they've ever had a true guest character in any one of their games. There have been, like, outfits and stuff. Right. But I don't think there have ever actually been, like, a non-Street Fighter character playable in a Street Fighter game. I don't think so, but Street Fighter installments seem to come out a lot slower than other fighting game franchises. Um... Like, you had, what, what was it, four? Well, there was four back in, like, the 360 PS3 era. Right. And and then then five. five. I guess they pretty much do one Street Fighter, a console generation. Yeah. And now they do usually release, like, uh, variant versions of the game over the course of its... So, like, eventually they'll That's always been the case. Right, like, Arcade Edition or Super Edition, you know? Alpha and Turbo. That makes sense. Um... But, but, yeah, uh, you're right. I don't remember ever seeing a guest character. Yeah, I wonder if uh, that day will ever come. I feel like if it does come... I know they recently had, like, a in Street Fighter Six that just came out this past summer, mm-hmm. they had, like, a collaboration with, like, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles mm-hmm. where, like, you could get uh, costumes to use with... Uh, the sort of create a character thing, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, and you could play as the turtles, but not really because you're just you're just wearing an outfit essentially. Right. You're but just... like you look like a full blown like Ninja, Ninja Turtle. Turtle. Like it doesn't look like one of the characters in an outfit. So right. it's as close as they've gotten, I think. <laughs> right. Um, a skin, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I don't know. Maybe that's them testing the water a little bit. People seem to really enjoy it. In fact, I was at Evo when they announced this. And uh, during the grand finals, during the Street Fighter Six portion, they had the Capcom like sound team there, like live playing music in between like sets of games, mm-hmm. which was really cool to hear them play live. But at one point, nobody knew what was going on. But all of a sudden, they start playing the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles like classic '80s '90s theme song from the TV show. Um, and then the trailer eventually rolls and shows the outfits, and people were going wild for it. That's um, cool. Yeah, it was nice to... I especially like that, like, they brought the musicians out there. That was, like, a really, really cool trick. Because how often do you have, like, the right. Capcom in-house band I like, think, playing music I think for sound you? teams get, like, kind of the least recognition, I feel like, yeah. in a way. Like, Konami had, has sound teams back in the day. Like, a lot of games aren't credited to individuals. Right. They're credited to, like, a sound a comp- team. Uh, like yeah. a third-party sound yeah. development team or whatever. Yeah, I know what you mean. Um... Anything else you've been playing or buying? That that's, share? that's about it. Okay. I'm, oh, I'm plan on going back to book off and picking up Chrono Trigger. Okay. I've checked and I don't have it. Saving up your pennies, 20, bro? 20 bucks. I know oh, where for I, the Super Famicom version. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. I was going to say the uh, oh, English yeah, version. No, forget that. It's See, like hundreds of that's, dollars. That's, yeah, that's for later. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember where I hit it in the store, so I'm going to oh, <laughs> go back God. and make sure it's still there. Um, okay, so we have a new segment we're going to kind of add to the intro uh, to this week's episode. It's the, what have we been up to? Mm-hmm. Um, you could go, I could go, what would you like? Uh, you go ahead. All right, so um, I 
last week on, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, no, it was Tuesday, I got an email from Square Enix asking me to participate in a focus group. Uh, well, they weren't asking me directly. They were saying, hey, apply, fill out this survey and we'll be in touch. Uh, we would like, we're trying to conduct a focus group this Thursday. So like two days from when that email went out. Mm -hmm. So as soon as I saw that email, I jumped on it immediately. Um, and I, you know, I didn't know what to expect, um, but I was selected. Um, mm -hmm. So the following day, I get an email in the morning saying, hey, this is so-and-so from this research group in Los Angeles. Um, we're interested in having you come out uh, and attend this uh, attend this focus group test. And I have never done, I've done some like, mm, I don't want to call them focus groups. I've never like sat around the table with like a bunch of strangers before. Mm -hmm. I've done some like, you know, hey, we're going to give you $100 to like for an hour of your time. We want your opinion or, you know, that kind of a thing. Right. But this was different. Um, so I filled out the survey. I got the call. They're going to give me $200 mm -hmm. to come give two hours of my time. Um, and I, I probably shouldn't say what game it was related to. Um, even though the email did kind of specifically say that it was a particular game franchise. But needless to say, it's published by Square Enix. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe when this game gets announced, I can reveal what game it yeah. was or what game series. What was the experience like? Um, so, you know, we get there. We're in this lobby waiting around for everyone to get there, the start time. We go, eventually we get escorted into this room. It has, like, double-sided glass. Presumably developer or publisher or marketing people are on the other side of the glass. Mm -hmm. And there's a researcher in the room with about six or seven of us. And we just get asked a variety of questions uh, anything like marketing materials, what we think about this particular game series, what's important about this game series, like what are like the the elements that like really define what X game series is all about. Mm -hmm. um, like if it's missing something, what would those things, what would it not, what would it need to have in order to like still be that? You know, if it's missing something, does it not become that anymore? You know. Right. Um, and then we got to look at like. We got to see some game trailers for this game. Uh, and the game is unannounced. I suspect, based on what I saw, it probably won't be too much longer before it does get announced. I could see this maybe being announced at the Game Awards in December. Uh, this game has had a presence, or the series has had a presence at the Game Awards before. Mm -hmm. um, so I do think it's, it's likely to get uh, its debut trailer there. Uh, so we looked at a couple trailers. We had to, like, explain what which one was better, why we like one over the other. Um, and then we looked at like different key art for the game. And then, you know, we had to kind of come to a sort of consensus as a group about what, what we thought the best one was, or if we could modify, take something from one and add it to another. Um, and, uh, how, how do you feel your, uh, input maybe impacted? Well, you know, one thing in particular I would say is, um, they showed us, uh, different like ways the game will be sold digitally and physically and something like that and so I, I was really uh, I wanted to make my voice heard that like the fact that you guys have a physical is like a really big deal you know like it's important you know to a lot of players um, and there was like a 
you know, they at one point they broke it down into like which one would people buy um, in the room. Like if you're in the room and you're gonna buy this game. Uh, now there were a couple people that like are PC gamers, so obviously they're just gonna go for the digital. You know, right. there's not a physical option is not even available to them. Right. Um, but out of the six of us there, there was like three people for the standard, two people for the physical. And then one person for like a ultimate digital deluxe version, um, and so you know I just I just really wanted to you know like because w- when they're looking at this group they're thinking like we got a wide variety of gamers here, so like my voice is amplified times ten thousand you know mm-hmm. so like I wanted to make it known and thankfully there was someone else in the room who was also appreciative and receptive to the fact that there was actually a physical version of the game right, going to so. be made available. Presumably that could change, I don't know. Right. Um, but the fact that two of us like spoke out like for it, I think uh, is good. Because uh, this publisher, Square Enix, we've mentioned previously, doesn't always post or doesn't always uh, create physical versions of their games. Right. Like, a they, lot of their they, games end up digital only for some reason. They don't always bring it to North America either. Yeah, that, I mean that's even worse. I feel like that's thankfully less common than it used to be right like during the like ps3 early ps4 era i feel like there was so much stuff that just skipped north america right yeah so um anyways the focus group was very interesting i'd do it again um in a heartbeat yeah that's awesome that you had that experience yeah. um yeah hopefully they you know yeah i don't know like it, there were times during the the focus group where it kind of seemed like I'll admit there were a couple people in the focus group who were like way too wordy and thought they were like super important and like way too like uh like at one point they started like getting us off topic and things and the researcher had to be like no be quiet I want to hear from Taylor you know right um so uh, I don't know if like maybe because they she was communicating with the researchers who were behind the glass she was on her phone a lot, and she warned us from the beginning. Sometimes I'm going to be on my phone. It's because I'm I'm having a back and forth with the the researcher or the other people in the room behind us. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that I sounded, uh, you know, calm and reasonable and right. You know, a like, voice of reason. Yeah. Whereas, like, some of the people were like weirdly passionate about some of the strangest things. Well, at least to me, that they felt strange. But I guess that's what they want. They probably want a variety of opinions from one extreme to the other and people in the middle and all kinds of yeah opinions that's yeah that's awesome though i i wish i could do something like that hope i do in the future um so i um at taylor's recommendation i actually am getting involved in uh the pokemon trading card game is having an art contest right now going on through January and uh, I decided I'm gonna do a piece, right? And I'm not holding my breath, of course, just because of the odds. Um, but what I was wanting to do is actually just every week as we do the podcast, save out an iteration of the art and where I'm at, and uh, upload it. See, to- I don't think you're actually allowed to share the art. There was someone who was disqualified in a previous... Yeah, Uh, it's because essentially it's going to become property. If they were to select your art, it becomes like their property, 
because they're printing these on like real trading card promo cards right right that will be distributed you know around the world all right so <laughs> what i will do is start a blog and um every week it's just one blog article sure but every week i'll update it with a blurb just talking about where i'm at with it yeah i, I think that's uh pretty cool i mean the opportunity for like just any I don't want to call you a Joe Schmo, but just for any member of the public to essentially become an official Pokemon trading card game artist to have a card made with it with your name printed right. in the artist spot on the card that's like uh that's pretty enticing don't get my hopes up man <laughs> uh, yeah I mean they I think last time they selected three winners mm-hmm from who knows how many thousands of submissions uh, their website does talk about that. Um, I don't want to pull it up right now, but uh, I believe it's one grand prize winner, three second place winners, mm-hmm. and it must be two. Third I think place. six or something. Like well, that. because this year I noticed they're not just doing; they're doing three regular cards, and they said three EX cards. Right. Uh, so there must be six people who are going to get cards printed. Right. Okay. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So I don't know how they divide it exactly. Or maybe there's one first place winner for regular card, then there's one first place winner for EX card art, that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the website mentions that uh, you one person can do up to three pieces of art right. submitted for this. So if I can do this in a timely fashion, I can maybe get a second one going yeah. uh, in time. I don't know. I'm kind of doing this in the background of, you know real life right so i don't know if i'll get three done yeah but so uh, yeah i looked in this they don't do this contest every year but they seems like they're doing it every other year now it used mm-hmm. to just be a japan only thing and then in 2022 they made it uh like a world well i hate to say worldwide because it's very few countries it's like a list of like Eleven. Like yeah, so many countries that can participate, right. but at least it's got more of a universal uh, right. access to it now, right? Um, International. And last year they distributed the winning cards uh, from the Pokemon Center website. You had to make a purchase, and they sent people like a special code, and you mm-hmm. had like six months to input the code and and get your set of cards. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to seeing the results. I wish everyone the best of luck who is participating. You're going to get me a car that says Ravenheart at the bottom. That would be the ultimate. Like, yeah. Like, you've made it, dude. You can can die. Right. (laughs) That would be it. Um, But, yeah, so wish me luck, and I'll be talking about my progress. All right. Um, So we're going to jump into a discussion before we get to the news. Um... I wanted to just talk about uh, like video game history. I think we had maybe said in a previous episode how like there's, you know, a lot of these developers who were there from the early days are now dying and their stories are going untold. Mm-hmm. Um, so there has been more of an effort in recent years. Uh, there's now various like book publishers, um, and these are like boutique book publishers, I should say. You know, right. like the major book publishers for the most part are not really embracing i mean the whole topic in general is a niche thing it's crazy to me though it's it's just not niche anymore though i mean like people write music biographies i mean it's not it's a big niche right but it's still not i mean it's bigger than tv and music combined video game history isn't 
video games might be. Right. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess video games are still relatively young in right. the scope of oh, yeah. entertainment. They're like a half the age of. They're uh, they're the fastest evolving yeah. medium yeah. for sure. And they've eclipsed it, and uh, you know all other entertainment industries in terms of like monetary sales each year. Oh yeah, absolutely by a lot. Um, but I just wanted to just call out a few of these uh, publishers. Uh, we got Bitmap Books, Boss Fight Books, Press Run, which is a special imprint of Limited Run Games. They have mm-hmm. like a book publishing side now. Uh, Lost in Cult. Read Only Memory, and we mentioned him previously, but too old for gaming yep. with his uh, Vita and now his PS3 books. He's doing a really good job. And there are more than this. These are just some ones that came to the top of my head. Um, but I personally, I uh, I think I gifted Rick a boss fight book mm-hmm. a few years ago. He'll talk about that in a moment. And I picked up some of Bitmap books, uh, particularly their books on uh, like the history of Japanese role-playing games as well as uh, this sort of a Game Boy box art retrospective. Um, it doesn't have every single Game Boy game in it, but it's uh, it's really cool. It's It's got all these beautiful pack shots of like a variety of like regions games inside of it. Mm-hmm. It's got like a really nice blurb about it. I've learned about so many games that sounded like really interesting. Yeah. Um, just through flipping through the book from time to time. And I've even hunted some of them down. Uh, so that for me has been a really cool thing. I mean, I haven't talked about it much, but I really am into Nintendo Game Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, you have. I I don't know that I talked about it on the podcast. Uh, you mentioned it a lot. Um, well, anyways, I'm I'm uh yeah I I'm really into it. I'm into the Game Boy history. I like picking up Game Boy games. They're mostly still pretty affordable. Um, you know, you can go to the swap meet and pick up some cheap games. Yeah, um, especially um, Japanese games. Yep. Yeah, can, I was just gonna say, book off has yeah, a bunch. Yeah, you can you can get you know cartridges for less than five bucks, and it's you know it's not region coded, so right. Thank goodness for that. Um, and uh, so yeah, I I really I like to dive deep. If there was one thing, if I had the money, which I don't, right? But I would love to have a, like a complete in box Game Boy collection. Right. I mean, that would I'd have to. I'd have to win the lottery, like the billion dollar lottery to make that happen. I'm not so much of an in-box kind of guy, but I would have all the hardware in every color variant. Oh, yeah. That would be There's this guy on YouTube. Uh, His name is Elliot Cole. Uh, I forget what his channel's name is, but he is that guy. All he does is make videos about the Game Boy, Mm -hmm. and they generate him enough revenue that he can buy his next Game Boy that he wants to talk about on the thing. And I think at this point he probably has close to every single variant Game Boy that's ever been released in like all territories. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, I I envy him greatly. Yeah. Um, He is living my dream. Um, So there's a, you know, like I kind of hate watch him. Yeah. Because he does have some really informative videos, but I'm just like the whole time I'm like, I can't stand this guy. Yeah. But that's totally out of jealousy. Nothing personal. Um, But uh, I appreciate what you're doing, Elliot. Um, So uh, there is actually one YouTuber I kind of watch. I watch a lot of YouTubers. 
Um, but I actually play games, unlike you. Uh, okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Larry Bundy Jr. is actually the Larry Bundy Jr. Yeah, he's actually been in the journalist kind of gaming space. Okay. In the UK okay. for a long, quite a while. You know what's interesting is a lot of these book publishers mm-hmm. are in that the... are they're all based in the UK, yeah. so they're getting their books in the US is so expensive because shipping is like. Forty dollars to ship a like a real heavy book over, right? Um, yeah, I've noticed that too. That's kind of strange. Yeah, I don't know why no one here is really doing it so much. Yeah, it seems to be a European thing, I guess. But yeah, anyways, um, this YouTuber, uh, Larry Bundy Jr., released a a book entitled Fact Hunt, and it has uh, he he's really good at finding obscure stuff. Um, but his format is kind of like, you know, 10 times developers intentionally made their game bad Mm. or, you know, 10 times, you know, uh, a publisher sold you the same game twice right? or, you know, stuff like that. Okay. He goes for like, um, kind of lists almost. Well, you know, in YouTube, you know, everything's been done at this point. So you got to really think outside the box to like make original content. Right. His videos are formatted that way, but his videos are all based like on his book. Oh, okay. So everything that is in his videos is compiled in his oh, book. Okay. Um, but yeah, that would that book would totally fit in this kind of category. Okay. That's one I want to buy actually. Yeah. Um. Uh, so in addition to like actual like people doing research and like compiling history about consoles and games we also are seeing a trend of like developers writing about their personal experiences Mm -hmm. Um, and just a few examples um, we have the making of Prince of Persia by Jordan Mechner we have the rise and fall of Sierra Online by Ken Williams we have Doom Guy by John Romero Romero. and uh a book titled Spelunky, which is also the same name as the game, by Derek Yu, who is yeah. the guy who created the game and pretty much just wrote like a like a, a how-to for devs, right? You've actually read the book. It's kind of like that, I guess a little bit. It's more about how he did um, Spelunky. Um, he goes into a lot of detail about a lot of different stuff. That one was actually published by Boss Fight Books. Right. Um, so yeah, I have actually read that book cover to cover. Uh, he goes, he talks about his personal experience. He talks about the way that he set up the roguelike um, mechanics. Explain you know, what that well, is. Cause... Right. So, uh, roguelike mechanics basically means there's random generation of sections of level okay. to create a unique experience every level. Okay. You can play it again and again and again, right. and it'll be different every time. Um, and he actually, like, using ANSI text, like, you know, X's and O's kind of demonstrates how he set up the table kind of for it, for uh, the level layout. Right. And the types of assets. So he actually, like, spells out. Oh, okay. In, like, on the page, right. like, how he set that up. Does, real quick question, mm-hmm. um, when you say he goes into his personal story does he like talk about like his work life he, he talks about the forum online that he was a part of uh, okay. where other budding devs at the time okay. and the software that they would use back in like the early 2000s right. for uh getting started 
Because like, Spelunky was one of those games that was sort of there at the beginning of yeah, the indie boom. It was, and he was very much a part of that same circle of friends. Right. Um, his book actually mentions uh, his relationship with Alec Halaka. Halawaka. Right. You know, um, the developer behind uh, Night in the Woods. One of the developers. One Night of the developers. Who, who later, yeah, took, took his, his own, own life. life. And, um, but this book was obviously from before that. Right. Uh, but he does talk about how close he was with him. Mm. He talks about what Alec had to say about Spelunky mm. when Derek would show him prototypes. Interesting. It was, it, it's a really good book. Yeah. Um, and of all this stuff, as much as I appreciate, and I do, uh, like journalists compiling history books and stuff on video game history, which is my greatest passion. Um, it's for me, it's the development memoirs yeah. that I want to read. That's yeah. my, that's, yeah. You should grab a John Romero's. Doom I want guy to book. read Doom Guy. I yeah. think that's going to be my next one. I, I have a copy. I just, I was getting ready to go to Comic Con this summer and I was looking at the schedule and sh I was like, why, why is John Romero coming to Comic Con? And I guess his book publisher was there and wanted to do a signing with fans. So. Mm -hmm. I didn't hesitate. I, I made sure to pick up a copy of the book. He signed it, brought some games with me. Uh, super sweet guy. Oh, yeah. By all accounts, like the best person out of the three people who helped make the Doom series. Yeah. I hear the other guys are kind of jerks. Yeah. He, I've never, well, he had some iffy, like, advertising back when Daikatana was oh, okay. his game. Like, he really edgy advertisements. Okay. And, yeah. He he has he's made some games in the meantime. Uh, I think I was reading he lives in like Ireland now. Like oh. he totally relocated from the U.S. Him and his wife live in Ireland or Scotland or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that's where he has a small little studio. He just put out some game a year or two ago. Um, it was like some mafia looking game, like this like sort of top down. Uh, I don't know if it was like a strategy game or something like that. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head. Interesting. But it, it looked... It is looked it a solo development or is it like... Small team. Okay. Very small team. Not not a first person shooter like you would, you know, yeah. like you would think, think from, from the guy him. who made Doom. Right. Um, yeah, I have immense respect for him, obviously. Yeah. He's and one I've of heard the, good things about the book, too. One it's, of the legends. Because some of these books can be... Uh, uh, you know, like they're self-published or something like that, and they don't really have a real editor. Um, so I do wonder about like the overall quality and how, those are like, the best. I think I love though. I yeah. I like the the rawness. You know, I don't mind sure. seeing, seeing some some typos. Right. Uh, yeah. No nah, typos don't don't give me too much of a pause. But uh, I just don't know if like it's easily digestible or mm -hmm. you know if it's like one of those things where it's like you can only read like 10 pages before you're like i need a break you know um parts of spelunky did get a bit technical yeah that i could see maybe not the you don't need to be a professional but maybe a, a regular layman wouldn't understand right. um i believe i got that book for you as a christmas you gift did yeah ago. that's yeah. right so i'm i'm glad to hear you finished it and you you enjoyed it yeah uh yeah i i had read that like People were like, if you're developing a game, you need to read this book. Yeah. I was like, it's, and it's a short read. It's not, it's like 120 pages, maybe. It's reflective, yeah. I think, of a lot of indie games that we know. Yeah. Not all, of course, but, you know, when you think of Stardew Valley and 
just other games like that that took the developer 10 years, solo developer. Right. Um, it's, it's just the same story in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know? And, it's funny you bring up Stardew Valley. Uh, it's not really... It's kind of news, but I didn't really feel like it needed to be a piece of news in our, our podcast this week, but... Um, he announced a series of Stardew Valley concerts, like with an orchestra. Wow. That's how big... Stardew Valley is, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a solo developer who has, like... He's just made it, man. Yeah. Oh, when yeah. you're indie game... That's effectively a Harvest Moon kind of clone with right. some little quirks. Well, I mean, you know, the the people who made the the Bokujo, Harvest Moon, Story of Seasons mm-hmm. games, um, they kind of stopped making traditional yeah, games. They right. started to go off in these weird kind of experimental tangents. Yeah, there that, was definitely a void to be filled. Yeah, like he saw an opening and he filled it. Mm-hmm. And he filled it really well, and he continues to like add and update the game still to this day right. while he's working on his new project. Um, so, anyways, what an incredible success the Stardew Valley! I mean, he oh, went yeah. from like having to like lie to people; his personal life was like miserable. Yeah, and, yeah, um, I can kind of relate. Yeah, and um, it's cool. It's really cool of him to do concerts, though. That's something that's you know underappreciated, and right. you know we've been to a few video game concerts. Oh yeah, and uh, you know I wish he'd write a memoir. Uh, I read it. Yeah, I mean I think he's he's busy. Oh yeah, but yeah, I would be very curious to hear. I mean he's like talked about his his story before, but mm-hmm. never in like a an elaborate book, you know, where he sits down for dozens and dozens of hours and writes it out, you know, right. Um, so yeah, that would be cool. I hope one day he gets the opportunity to do that. I'm sure one of these publishers would probably love to oh, have him. Um, yeah, he probably has yeah, offers. Yeah, he has his pick. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyways, yeah, I just think it's cool that uh, there's there's attention being paid to this, and you know, people know that like time is ticking. Uh, you know, it's it's not slowing down, and you know we got to get these stories out, we got to get them recorded, we got to get them preserved. Yeah. Uh, while we still can, just preserve as much as possible. Yeah, I mean these are video games, you know, like we right. we should be all about preserving. Them, Absolutely, you know? like anything else, any other part of history we preserve. But yeah, so much has already been lost, you know, oh, especially yeah. the early companies, all their paperwork and doc, like they didn't. Like, when they were designing, like, concept art and stuff, you know, this was stuff that eventually was just stored in a box and thrown away when the company went under, you know? Right. Um, and, um, you know, we don't even know who, like, designed, like, some box arts for various games back in, like, the Atari era. And, you know, a lot of that is probably sitting in boxes and the attics of people who don't know enough to care, who just, you know, went to the bankruptcy auctions and, yeah. and got a bunch of their I, stuff. I saw something uh, recently on X... Um, one of the main formerly known as Twitter formerly known as Twitter uh, we'll keep saying that I guess <laughs> um, the uh, oh gosh what's that um, what's that PlayStation game with the skeleton um, uh, oh no I feel medieval medieval oh, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh, wow and one <laughs> of the developers is recently like laid off out of work and he's like saying like I'm gonna auction off like all of these like concept art and development documents and stuff from back in the day because mm-hmm. I'm in between jobs 
um, I, I have so much experience. Nobody wants to hire me, you know, because I have like too much experience. I'm too varied. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, so yeah, like he, he's like basically saying like, I need to auction this up. And I was kind of like, Oh no, please don't do that. You know, like there's gotta be a better way to preserve this information rather than, because, you know, when it goes to a private collector, there's no telling what this private collector is going to do with it. Right. Most of them, most of these private collectors are unfortunately uh, not in the habit of sharing things. Right. Well, they right. have an incentive to keep it exclusive. Yes. Yeah. They paid top dollar for something. And right. so they want it to just be for if their enjoyment. If there's a ROM on the internet, they don't have the only copy anymore. Right. You know, um, you know some of them do share you know they they rip the rom of you know like a test game or something like that or you know they do maybe publish some of these documents online eventually but uh not all of them um i mean i know uh at gallery nucleus uh the the fire emblem artist yusuke kozaki uh for fire emblem awakening and fire emblem uh fates uh he he sold a lot of his original art there mm -hmm. and we're talking like the images from like the, the line art from like the key art that right. was like on the cover of the box like right. stuff like that and like this is now in the hands of like a private collector and i don't know to me that stuff i really feel like it should be in a museum in a museum you know yeah. or like somewhere preserved for people to enjoy and then published online and uh yeah so i don't know i, I really hope i know there are actually some like video game esque museums that are kind of popping up, or museums that have like video game exhibits now. Yeah. Um, so there I, seems to be a consorted effort. Yeah, yeah. There's the I think the Video Game History Foundation is one of the bigger uh, efforts out there to like yeah. try to preserve gaming history, and they let people like send stuff in, and mm. then they scan it, and they'll like send it back to people, even if they don't necessarily have a physical place to display everything. At least they're ensuring that, like, these documents and things will be available. Right. All right, so let's jump into the news. Um, so one of the major headlines of last week, and it was kind of a, not a super busy news week this last yeah, week. Very light. Um, but uh, there's still some interesting stories and still some things I think we should talk about. Uh, particularly one, uh, Roblox tells employees they must return to the office. Mm -hmm. Now, if you don't know what Roblox is, it's pretty much the biggest game on the planet for, like, kids under, I don't know, 12, under 13. You could walk down the aisle, at, toy aisle at Target right now, and it would, half of it would, seems like it'd be Roblox. I see a lot. Do you? Okay, I, I haven't actually been in the toy aisle lately, so I don't, I, they actually have physical toys, I didn't know that. Oh, a lot. Okay. Like, it's a lot. Um, like half the aisle. Yeah, I have a, my girlfriend's family, uh, there's a daughter, a young daughter, and she is like obsessed with Roblox. Like anytime mm -hmm. I'm visiting her brother, I see their kid uh, just playing Roblox. Like they just absolutely love it. It's like this generation's Minecraft it's bigger than Fortnite now. Yeah. It's bigger than Minecraft. Um, but really what it is, is it's uh, it gives people a way to create games for this platform. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's like a publishing platform for games. They give players the tools to create games, and then these players can publish their games on the platform... And then, you know, the, you know, if they get popular or not, you know, then, you know, they either go by the wayside or 
they, they, they catch on and then people really like to play them. Um, not everybody who plays Roblox makes games for Roblox. Right. Uh, you know, I would say it's a, probably a really small portion of people who are actually like developing for it. Right. But some of these really, really, really popular game modes are actually made by kids. Mm-hmm. So that means Roblox is using child labor <laughs> yeah, right, in to a way. create their games. Uh, or you know to generate revenue for them it's it's kind of an interesting you know moral ethical quandary like and then you know you know what they pay these kids in like if their game generates revenue for roblox they pay them in, like in-game currency known as robux um and I, I guess there's a way at this point now where players can pull robux out of the game and turn it into real dollars mm-hmm. um and some of these kids are making like I mean, we're talking like preteens making yeah. like ten grand a week. That's crazy. That's crazy, That's right? Um, and you know, like if if their mode or their their little micro game that they create, uh, you know, catches on, like these kids are now you know set for life. Yeah. Oh. And like. Yeah. yeah it, it's insane. And it, it does. It, they don't even have to have that big of a lifespan either. If they're just socking away ten grand a week. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's it. it. Yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. Um, but uh, it, it did just launch on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5, and in less than a week was downloaded more than 10 million times. And this just happened like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jim Ryan, the now outgoing president of Sony, yep. had originally said that he was resistant to Roblox because he did think there were some weird ethical stuff to sort that they still needed to sort out but i guess the allure of all those robux yeah. came calling and they just wanted you know they got to get that on playstation i think the conversion um ability from robux to usd probably had something to do with alleviating that. maybe yeah um because yeah i don't know if originally like there was no way to earn money because i also understand that uh, developers can create like skins for characters mm-hmm. and different items that players have access to in the game. Like if someone had like a sword, they can make all kinds of a variety of skins. Right. And then you know they sell these skins on the store for Robux, and then the Roblox company keeps a portion of those sales, but developers then get like a cut. I would have to imagine the cut is probably way more in favor of Roblox than it is. For, um, I, I don't think it's like as nice as the you know the thirty seventy cut that a lot yeah, of like stores developers have. get from. But I don't know that for a fact, so that's a little bit of speculation on my part. But just knowing that their target audience is kids, the kids are probably happy. Wow, I earned ten robux today. Right. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I don't. I've been surprised by some of that kind of stuff before in the past too. Yeah. So it could it could be a pretty sweet deal for the kids. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, we're hearing about people making ten grand a week, right? You know, kids. And who cares? Know? Basically, yeah. mommy <laughs> and daddy can quit work now, right? <laughs> um. Anyway, so the real the that's Roblox in a nutshell. Um, I'm sure I'm not getting it totally right. It seems to be a mystery. Like people our age, mm-hmm. people in their twenties, they know nothing about they Roblox. Don't understand. Like it. it's. It's an unknown to us. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you talk to a 12-year-old, a 11-year-old, a 13-year-old, they'll just go on and on about Even if they don't play, their friends play, and their friends talk about it. 
all day at school Mm -hmm. and that's what they're thinking about like they can't wait to get home to go play more roblox and i've seen it in action it's really um it's janky yeah but like i could see the appeal of like i mean it's just like like characters like tumbling down a hill like the physics are really weird and it's just like comical you know so i guess for a lot of people it's just like really goofy and the kids are probably just laughing the whole time while they're playing um but yeah it's making big big bucks yeah i think they even like went public last year on the new york stock exchange i think roblox rang the bell really at some point last year um they're they're really really big and uh the reason they're in the news though is because they're telling their staff mm-hmm. after just a year ago saying you guys can work from home now they're saying everyone's got to come back to the office right now you've read the statement what did you think uh, the official statement from the founder mm-hmm. dave bazuki bazuki i'm just gonna say bazuki um so yeah i read his statement and i'm gonna be honest it didn't feel corporate boilerplate at all to me it okay. felt pretty genuine the it's, you know he, he talked about how, what a difficult decision it is he talked about why he had to make this decision and he talked about why he needed to make that decision he basically said that you know he has this vision of everyone needing to work together he feels the difference from the zoom call zoom mm-hmm. fatigue that the team is getting that was his word Right. And um, he's seen how it is when they're in person. And uh, he just, you know, if I were to put myself in his shoes, you know, he needs to run this company. You know, he needs it to be as efficient according to how he visualizes it as best he can. Right. Um, And I don't fault the guy for wanting people to work in person. And, you know... Well, it's not totally. They only have to work three days a week yeah, from that's the office. Not even, so they still get to work remotely two days. It um, just, I think it's the relocation yeah. that is probably the biggest Now, deal. if I was a new hire last year and I lived halfway across the country mm-hmm. and I own a home, I have a family, yeah. and Roblox said, yep, you can work remotely. This is a remote position. And now a He's, year later yeah. they're saying, no, you have to relocate. Yeah, and that is unfortunate. And, uh, you know, he does talk about how unfair that is, basically. Yeah. Um, he tried to sweeten it up as much as he could. And it does sound like he's offering a pretty good deal if they don't want to work. Well, I think the severance is based on, like, how long they've been there. Sure. So if you've only been there a year, I can't imagine. It's I, too that is crazy. too much. But, but I, I mean, think they said, like, there's six a severance, months of. Though like uh yeah so i'll I'll go over it so um he's they're offering uh if you don't if you decide that this isn't for you and you don't want to move to san mateo i think think so um it's you know you can opt for a severance package which is nice if you're just a normal employee you know right severance packages are usually for managers and above um or if you do decide to go uh, they will assist with relocation. Oh, uh, also, um, if you do leave, you're entitled to six years, or sorry, six, six months. months. My, my bad. <laughs> six months of health care coverage. Right, for you and your family. For you and your family. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, 
he's and there's like a timeline right like it doesn't have it's not immediate yeah you have to like decide he, by the end of the year he's given a pretty fair grace period i think uh he wants people ready to work in june right so if you do decide to relocate you have until like june to get out here right um i think he wants a decision by, by january the, yeah it was like in the next couple of months um, i remember but then um if you do go out they will assist with relocation i can't like it i really this doesn't feel evil to me it just, no it's not know. evil I, I but i would just i would just probably be really annoyed yeah if, you know you think oh. you landed the dream job you get to work from home you know you get to stay where your family is but because now you're literally put between the choice of like do i leave my family or move them out or right and you not. know they could have multiple kids in school and that could be really painful for them you and, know and and my sympathy goes out to people who are in that situation uh but if you worked for Roblox, you have some industry experience, and I think finding another job in the industry would be a lot easier than had you not worked there. Yeah, I mean, considering how much of a a big thing they become, whether or not you know a lot of people like us are taking them seriously or thinking about them at all, right? Um, you know, it's it's still a big deal, and they're making really really big money. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't see it as an unreasonable ask. Yeah, so, now if they had been like, you guys have a month. Yeah, that's, see, that, and companies do do yeah, that. Yeah, they do do that. So that that would be pretty brutal. So I guess if, this is a lesson in how to do it if you're going to do it. I would say so. Yeah. I think they're handling it's this. It's pretty classy. Pretty classy. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I did think, I think they said there were a handful of employees who would be able to remain remote. Yeah. Like if they, you had a very specific set of skills right. or something. Some some are required to be remote. Right, like the people in the data centers and right. things like that. Um, and then I guess if you have certain multi-talented yeah, like if you're a one of a kind, right. you know, you can wonderkin. Basically, have whatever you, <laughs> you want. You can do it. Yeah, you can stay home if you like. Um, what were you your, your thoughts about the statement, though? Uh, I thought it. I thought it was nice. It detailed everything. Um, you know, like you said, it didn't come across as like evil corporate mm-hmm. dick. Um, it, it felt really genuine. Like he was talking from a place of yeah. actual. I mean, he's he's one of the founders. You know, he's not just the guy who runs the company. You know, so I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's well, when you still have that founder guy there, they're usually more real. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when you start like yeah, when he leaves or when he gets kicked out one day because the stock isn't good or whatever, yeah, and then the board of directors yeah. chooses who's next and they pick some. Yeah, some guy who's not involved in making games at all. So some career CEO. Yeah, that's when. I mean, and you know, look, Roblox isn't laying people off. That's so, true. You know, everybody else is seemingly laying people they, off. They uh, they're not like Epic Games. Yeah, Epic Games, um, which is God. Uh, I mean, they have an enormous amount of employees. Um, mm-hmm. They also have an enormous amount of, like, subsidiaries and stuff. Right. Uh, so Epic Games uh, is laying off 830 employees, or I guess this happened uh, as of September. Mm-hmm. Uh, the news that's uh, new this week is that last year they had purchased um, this music uh, storefront website mm-hmm. known as Bandcamp. And if you're into, like, indie music yeah. or, like, kind of non-mainstream stuff, you're probably familiar with Bandcamp. 
It's like the number one way for bands to distribute their music. Bandcamp only takes a 10% cut of proceeds from mm-hmm. any sales of uh, digital music. That's pretty good. That's really good. No one no one does that. No, no. Um, normally, most places, you're looking at 20 30% you know, yeah, oh, cut yeah. is taken away from iTunes, you. iTunes, know. I think, is 20%. I think. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they bought... For whatever reason, Epic Games, which is like the the creator of like one of the most widely used game engines mm-hmm. out there. Yep, they uh, created the Unreal Engine. Uh, they started out as a engine holder, and then I think was was their first game Unreal Tournament on Xbox. I don't, I don't know. Oh, I mean, they started out in the PC space before oh, right, consoles. Okay, right. uh, I mean, maybe that was their first console game. Um, but yeah, Unreal Engine, uh, you know, Unreal Tournament. You know, they yeah. they had a lot of those uh, really popular '90s, early 2000s PC like a multiplayer kind of pre MOBA style. Yeah, uh, but you know, it was. I think they're from like kind of a first person perspective, if I'm correctly. And they're so, uh, almost like there's different like heroes that you Unreal pick from. Tournament. I always thought was third person. Was it okay? Yeah, I'm. I'm. They have like bladed weapons. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not the biggest PC gamer, so I remember when I used to go to Wizards of the Coast store uh, in Orange County to play the Pokemon trading card game. They had these PC, this PC area on the back, and there were always people playing Counter Strike and Unreal Tournament. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, like, wow, these guys are like super hardcore. I only know because we did like a case study on Unreal Tournament on okay. like game design classes. Okay, so more recently than I've seen the game, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, um, no, I mean when I was in college. Still so. more recently oh, okay. than when I was at right. the Pokemon tournaments as like a nine-year-old. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but, uh, you know, Epic Games does more than just games now. I mean, they're known for creating Fortnite, yeah. which is one of the largest ongoing live service games on the planet. You know, everyone knows Fortnite from those stupid dances that kids were doing a few right. years ago. Yeah, the, the floss. Yeah, um... And, and, you know, they got into some trouble because they were literally just, like, lifting dances, like, from, like, right. popular artists and actors and various, uh, pop, or, you know, multimedia pop culture. That was a, one of a few controversies. I yeah, think, I think for, they got sued for it. Uh, by multiple people Yeah, on I don't YouTube. remember what happened, but basically, like, these people who originated the dances mm-hmm. wanted a cut of that cash that, right. you know, like, because... The dance was, like, identical to what was seen in the movie. Right. I don't remember the result of that, but... Um, um, th- you know, they, they're... Uh, for, I'm just... I just wanted to say... Yeah, F- Fortnite's also uh, known for its crazy amount of skins and... Yeah, and know, expensive. Expensive skins. Like, these things cost, like, $20, $30 for, like, uh, you know, a pop culture skin for and, your And, like, character. guest cameos from, yeah. you know, media. I mean, they have, like concerts inside the yeah, game like they do some really wild out there interesting things the game is not for me no not at all but um it's big and it's not just with kids a lot of adults play it too yep um, it's, it's got more of the cartoony art style yeah it reminds me of what's that valve game um team Team, not Team Fortress. Oh man, I can't remember what it's called. It's okay. Are you thinking of a Tim Schafer game? No, no, no. Okay. This is Valve for sure. Right. Um, it's a PC game, anyways. But yeah, it does have like a cartoony, which I think is a smart play. Yeah. You know, especially if you're going to like market to young kids. 
I mean, but even just with the massive amount of skins from, like, almost every, excluding Nintendo, I think, like, there's not a multimedia property that hasn't had, like, a skin made for yeah. Fortnite. Like, anime, movies, TV shows, cartoons, yeah. real-life things. Um, like, Marvel stuff is in there. Um, it's It's a really big deal. And, you know, Epic Games does more than games, too. Oh, like, yeah. they also, they use the uh, Unreal Engine to like they use that to make like Star Wars TV shows and things like that. They also have the Epic Game Store. Yeah. It's another thing that they Right. They they opened up a store in direct competition with Valve where they mm-hmm. promise more uh profits to the developer than other storefronts do. That had its number of controversies as well. Oh yeah. Buying up Kickstarter projects yeah. and making them exclusive and um People are real. People really don't like it. No, they don't. Um, it also came out at a time when we already had like nine launchers. Right. You know, we didn't need another one. Well, I mean, there was really just Valve, and then you had publishers had their own launchers mm-hmm. on the side where like you could just find EA's games yeah. or Ubisoft. Uh, Ubisoft, yeah. Games. And I mean, a lot of times those games were also available on Steam, but I think anytime a Steam user is told he has to buy, he or she has to buy a game on another ecosystem yeah. that just upsets them i don't think exclusivity really works in the pc space the way it does in consoles yeah i i mean you can still play it on your same machine it's yeah. not like you have to buy a separate machine so i personally don't really get why people like i don't either like hold a pitchfork like i, I can I, see I refuse. it i won't buy it i can see it being annoying and maybe if you take your steam account with a passion and you want your hours to be tracked and yeah. all your achievements on one account. But it's still, yeah, you're playing it on your same rig. It's not even, like, uh, truly exclusive. Yeah. With console ex- um, exclusives, we have to play on a different machine. Yeah. You so, know? I mean, in that way, I do see the benefit of, like, being a PC gamer where, right, like, right. all the games are there. You know, it used to be a lot of console games wouldn't be on PC and a lot of PC games wouldn't be on console, but that's really less and less the case now even a lot of first party like playstation games like a year or so later will now be on pc Mm -hmm. they've really taken the pc space as like a a new separate platform for them right um and you know xbox a lot of their games have always been on pc um but nintendo will i don't think ever be on pc no i don't as long as they're still making physical hardware their games will not appear anywhere else No, they just they're not interested in being on any kind of third-party yeah. platform. Um, but uh, part of these 830 layoffs, uh, ban- or sorry, Epic Games also sold off Bandcamp mm-hmm. to this company, SongTrader. Mm-hmm. And now SongTrader specializes in helping people license their music for like YouTube videos, TikTok, yeah. that kind of a thing. Right. Um, and so. As soon as SongTrader acquired Bandcamp from Epic Games, they laid off half of Bandcamp staff, like, immediately. Yeah, it was 118 originally, and they uh, let go of 58, 58 so that's pretty much half. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's been a blow. I mean, Bandcamp is largely beloved. You Mm -hmm. know, people question, why the heck did Epic Games even buy Bandcamp last year? Yeah, I... uh, I it's a really good question. Um, I I'm not a huge fan of Epic. Yeah. Um, I just don't like their 
their style of how they do things. But okay. I think they just need that. There's a hubris there, and they, you know, like with launching the Epic Game Store, they just need to have their own launcher because right. they just want to have it. Um, I feel like maybe the the acquisition of Bandcamp was kind of in the same spirit. Yeah, they just need to own it. Yeah, um, it's it's bizarre. I wonder if the guy who sold Bandcamp. The guy who owned Bandcamp started Bandcamp and then sold it to Epic Games. And mm-hmm. he was all like, oh, this is going to mean great things for Bandcamp. Right. And then a year later, half of his probably beloved staff mm-hmm. is now out of a job. Yeah. And Song Trader's like, well, sorry, we, we don't need these people because they're essentially duplicate positions yeah. from what we had. What's interesting about uh, Bandcamp is I believe they're unionized. And uh, they let go of, they just happened to let go of all the union leadership mm-hmm. right. in those 58 layoffs. So yeah. now Bandcamp is like running around without its head on. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and I believe Song Trader was asked to comment on that. And they said, we didn't even know, we didn't have the, the union leadership like roster yet. So. It's just happenstance that all those people were let go. Yeah. So things probably... I gotta imagine morale is really bad at Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Which is sad, because that's a really good platform. Like, that needs to exist and yeah. needs to it stay needs to strong. to exist in perpetuity. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's... It'll be so sad if some dude who just couldn't resist all those zeros at the end of the check that Epic offered him mm-hmm. ends up leading to this platform... Becoming defunct in a few years, yeah, would, I will be yeah, that's massively disappointed. Definitely. And I hope, I mean, that guy probably won't care. He's probably effed off to some island somewhere. Yeah, he's he's doing fine for himself. Yeah, but man, what what an absolute bummer for Bandcamp and you know musicians everywhere who are now like, oh my god, you know, like what is Song Trader going to do? Are they going to reduce the cut? For some of them, that might be their budding career. You know, and their main focus in life is what they have on Bandcamp, and right. this calls into question, like, or creates an uncertainty for them, and you know where they're going to be. Yeah, you know. Now, I do think Song Trader's service is maybe a good one for budding artists. Oh, it's definitely the right part, like parent company to own Bandcamp. I feel like because yeah. it, it would just work it out. It makes well. better sense than Epic Games definitely, owning them. Definitely, but I just. I don't know. I mean, just the fact that Song Trader, like, within two weeks of owning Bandcamp, just made the analysis that we don't need half the people that work here. I've never even heard of Song Trader. No, I don't don't know where they came out of. I don't know how they have the money to do this, to buy Bandcamp. Right. Um, But they did. And, I mean, I, I think it could maybe ultimately lead to a good thing for artists on Bandcamp to be able to get their music out there and to, like, be in multimedia productions and commercials and different things like that. But, uh, yeah, definitely rough times uh, over for the staff there. I think they're based out of Oakland, so it, it ain't cheap living out there, no, no. as we've discussed previously. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I feel really bad for the staff who's out of a job. Um, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with some more news. All right. And we're back from our break. Um, for the next segment, we wanted to talk about uh, two actually really big games uh, that can, uh, actually launched on Friday the 20th. 
um, Super Mario Brothers Wonder uh, with scoring and Metacritic uh, 93 really good really 93 good 93 is like yeah it like, really doesn't get any higher it, than that yeah that's it's almost impossible realistically that is top that's 100 notch. practically yeah. And then uh, on the other, on the flip side, on PlayStation side, we have Spider-Man Two coming out with a Metacritic um, <laughs> Metacritic score of ninety-one. Ninety-one, you know, basically just as good. So if you don't know what Metacritic is, it's basically an aggregator for critic reviews, mm-hmm. and it basically assigns a score. Some of them are more specific, like. This outlet gave it a 9 out of 10, so that would be a 90 on Metacritic. Right. Um, and then they just average them all together, and you get sort of a, a consensus score. Mm-hmm. Of all the different news outlets that review these games. Exactly. Um, and uh, these are kind of the last two big games of the year, so they... Um, no more, you know... Yeah, when it comes to, like, the big quadruple a huge budget games i mean mario's budget was probably a fraction of what marvel's spider-man 2 um and we should mention that uh marvel spider-man 2 is developed by insomniac games yep these are the guys way back in the day making spyro the dragon um is that that's right yeah that's. i'm pretty sure that's right um they made uh Oh gosh, uh, Ratchet and Clank. Yep, uh, they've been around for as long as PlayStation's been around. Yep, another legendary studio. And you know they've been making these Marvel games for the last couple of years, uh, or the Spider-Man games, I should say, the last few years. Um, and they've all been. You know, I've spoken previously about how I'm a big fan of them. I haven't picked up Spider-Man Two yet. I think I said in an episode I'm probably going to wait for a small price drop or something before I pick it up. Yeah. I did grab Mario, like I mentioned earlier in this episode. Um, you know, probably the only reason I got Mario on day one was because of those purchase incentives. Yeah. Um, and the fact that Nintendo games really don't drop price all that much. No, they don't. When they go on sale, they're like 10 or $15 off, and it's for like just one week, and then they go right back up. Whereas other studios, their games just eventually get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. In some cases, like Super Nintendo games, they go way up. Uh, yeah, well, they got cheaper... Yeah. At a point in time. Oh, yeah, they did. And now they're worth, you know, ten times their manufacturer-suggested retail price. Um, but, yeah, these are pretty much the last two big games of the year. Um, they both reviewed incredibly well. Yeah, they're really. They're both selling really, really, big, really well. Really big hits. I mean, well, we haven't gotten any numbers from Nintendo yet on Mario Wonder, but I suspect by the time we talk next week, we'll probably have some some basic information from Nintendo. Spider-Man Two, though, uh, has already sold two point five million. That was just in the first twenty-four hours mm-hmm. of launch, making it PlayStation's fastest-selling game in their entire franchise or in the entire history of PlayStation. Yeah, that's which crazy. I mean, that that's that's basically it may as well be the fastest selling game of all time for all we know right um, that, that's just crazy like mind blowing to think about 2.5 million in a day let's do some quick math so 2.5 million and this is a $70 game so 2 point okay hold on I gotta actually not do points well you're probably better at math than me what, what, what number is this Two point five times seventy dollars. Uh, you got you got it wrong. That should be a five, not a nine. Oh, it's two point five million. Yeah. Oh, I thought you said I thought you said two point nine. No. Okay. 
So two million five hundred thousand times seventy dollars. Damn, they made a hundred and seventy-five million dollars. Right. So time, times hours. that by point three, because that's what PlayStation would take. Well, it's a PlayStation Studio game, so that's, it's all first-party uh, money, baby. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And then PlayStation owns Insomniac. Okay. At this point. So that's all money for PlayStation. Gotcha. Now I, I'm sure it recouped its entire you know oh, yeah. five year budget its instantly. Budget. It probably had uh, a twelve mil. I'm guessing. Oh, I don't know, man. Like the the budget for video games now is like absolutely crazy. Yeah. For like these kinds of, I mean, we're out of triple A. Yeah. This it's, is this is quadruple A. It's all motion capture. All the main characters' animations yeah. are motion captured. I mean, and just how, how large these games are. I mean, you know, because it's also set in New York, mm-hmm. they're able to, like, recycle some stuff. But, I mean, they made sure to highlight before the game came out, like, just how much has changed in the world, what they've done to improve it. You know, they're not uh, just importing. According to the last state of play, they doubled the size right. of Manhattan. And then and then improved everything that right. was there prior. Right. One thing I... W- apparently, the Chrysler building is not featured in the game because I guess they wanted way too much money for oh, Chrysler to, to, be... to license the likeness of the building in the okay. game, which is crazy. It was in the first game. It wasn't in Miles Morales, and now it's not in Spider-Man 2, which is unfortunate. Gotcha. I remember thinking when uh, Miles Morales game came out that like Sony was just too cheap to... To, to license the building for mm. the like you know the lesser of the two Spider-Mans you know right, yeah. but it turns out I guess Chrysler just wants an insane amount of money to have their building featured in the I game I don't know why they wouldn't just take whatever they can get I'm, I mean I would have to imagine that most of these buildings that are like kind of iconic imagery are probably just happy to be featured in the game yeah. they probably don't even ask for money right I like you want to be part of like the historic skyline, you know. Just surely there was a maximum Sony was willing to offer them. I'm Why sure. wouldn't they just take that? Yeah, you know, whatever. Um, odd for sure. Yeah. Um, but there's still, even though the last two big games are out of the year at this point, all of the game of the year contenders I think are out. Yeah. Oh yeah. So like, as we get into this next month or two, that's what people are going to be talking about. We're getting to the game awards and. You know the the ones in Los Angeles hosted by Jeff Keeley. Uh, those are at the beginning of December. Um, we should definitely try to go. Oh yeah. Um, hopefully, oh it's it's on a Thursday night. Maybe you could get the night off. Mm, yeah. Let's we'll, see what we can we'll do. We'll figure something. That would be fun to go. Um, and uh, you know there are still a few things coming out though. Mm-hmm. We have uh, Super Mario RPG, the remake of the Super NES game. Yeah. Um, which is it's not just like a oh here's the game but on uh, you know the Switch yeah, it's, it's like a full remade from the ground up yeah so you know a different game I would say I, I've heard they've made some like uh, changes to it as well you know that some enhancements and things beyond uh, just the the look of it mm-hmm. uh, Star Ocean 2 yep also right. another remake but I don't know if have you seen this remake in action um I'm confused. Well, I'm not confused, but um, Star Ocean Second Story. I'm not sure if that's different from Star Ocean Two or if it's the same game. I think I have not seen okay. the footage. It's it uses like the HD 2D kind of aesthetic, oh, okay, yeah. But it puts it in like a 
like for the character sprites and the battles and you know enemy sprites mm-hmm. and then uh, it has but it has like a very kind of like cool realistic it, it looks incredible on in action like mm-hmm. it, it actually is probably the thing I'm most excited about that's still to come out this year same, for sure same yeah um, I, I really love uh, all of Square Enix's HD2D games Octopath Traveler uh a triangle strategy. If it is Star Ocean Second Story, that game is crazy huge. Yeah. Um, a whole bunch of different characters I think you can marry and it's, like this game is launching not even at sixty dollars. It's launching at forty nine ninety nine. Um which it's cra- I don't know, like that, I think people would pay full price for it. That game had like two hundred different endings or something like that. It was well, ridiculous. Get ready. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, another big game that's still to be released is Persona 5 Tactica. Atlas is continuing to create spin-offs for Persona 5. Um, this one has an interesting look to it. It's got like a sort of a a chibi, uh, like deformed character look where they're kind of squished down. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's got all the a- or like the voice actors back from the main game, and it's like an original story set in the world. Um, a continuation and uh, it's tactics uh, yeah. based so you know so, interesting I don't think Persona or Shimagami Tensei has ever done like a straight up uh, tactics yeah team. it has um, Devil Survivor and Devil Survivor Overclock that, were, oh, okay. were both tactics well, at least for Persona this is the first time they've done a tactics game yeah. uh, usually they do like some like mystery dungeon style kind of games mm-hmm. um but uh, yeah, we haven't heard anything from Nintendo regarding Super Mario Brothers Wonder Sale. Uh, but w- I would expect that by the next time we record, we should should have some information. And I may be repeating myself right now. Um, but uh, maybe next week we'll have uh, an update on that for you. Mm-hmm. Nintendo usually says something after about a week for their really big titles. Yeah, um, yeah, and we'll bring it to you as soon as they do. Hopefully I can maybe get around to playing it, too. I've just heard nothing but wonderful things about it. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's got, like, a co-op thing, too. I don't know. Maybe maybe that's how I get you to play a game. Um, I am playing games, actually. <laughs> I'm just giving you a hard time. Um, okay. So uh, this isn't more so much of a story as it is speculation on behalf of industry analysts. But given that Microsoft has now made finalized their massive acquisition of Activision Blizzard King, yep, uh, people are wondering, or people are thinking, hearing maybe even that Sony is now under a huge amount of pressure mm-hmm. to make some kind of grand acquisition. Now, early in 2022, Sony bought Bungie, yeah. the developers of Halo and yep. Destiny. A lot of legendary titles. They did a um, what was a joint development between Rockstar and Bungie called Oni back on mm. PS2. Cult classic. Yeah, wasn't for everyone, but I I own it. Yeah, I, like I think it. they they had a game called Marathon as well for Mac. Um, but uh, yeah, so that was a shock because you know Halo became a Microsoft studio, right. and then went independent, and then in. Uh, collaboration with Activision created Destiny Mm -hmm. and then for Destiny 2 or about a year into Destiny's 2 lifespan, Activision and Bungie went their separate ways Mm -hmm. and uh, Bungie became the publisher and developer of Destiny 
and then Sony goes and buys Bungie. Yeah, Bun- Bungie's been passed around a bit. Yeah, um, I was shocked that they were wanted to be bought out to begin yeah. with. Yeah, they they seem to be fighting for their independence a right. lot, and then getting bought out again. Well, you know, I think I think Microsoft at the time wanted Bungie to make Halo forever. Well, yeah, right. Um, and they were probably tired of making Halo, and I guess maybe. Uh, from my understanding is that Sony has given Bungie the autonomy to do what they want, publish their games wherever they want. Like mm-hmm. future Destiny games will continue to be available on something like Xbox, you know? We had just talked about Bungie uh, in relation to Naughty Dog with their, their Exactly, project. yeah. Like so, you know, uh, the one of the big reasons that they were acquired by Sony is for their expertise in the particular space that they're known for being uh, like a live service mm-hmm. uh, game that has managed to find a, an audience that is loyal and sticks around. Right. Uh, whereas a lot of live service games yeah, they just last peter a, out. Last a month. Maybe. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, let's speculate for ourselves for a second. Yeah. Who, who, or, I mean, like, Sony doesn't have the money right. to so buy an Activision. Let's talk about the contenders. Okay. Like, who... So we have Take Two, Take Two, the publishers behind mostly Rockstar's game and some sports titles. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Electronic Arts, yeah, which is a really big one. They have a massive amount of sports titles. They have uh, Respawn Studio, who makes like the newer Star Wars games, Titanfall. Yeah. Um, oh, there's that. Uh, oh, it's that popular hero shooter that uh, Respawn also makes. Hero shooter, like not like Overwatch. It's uh, it's something else. Uh, was it Battleborn? No, no, that was uh, that was uh, Randy Pitchford Studio. Oh yeah, uh, Gearbox. Gearbox. That was Gearbox. Uh, it's okay. Um, and then there's Ubisoft. Yep. Um, who is also? I mean, so there's like the three of them, and then there's some sort of like conglomerate sort of stuff that's been happening in like Europe. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you have THQ, yeah, THQ Nordic, I should call them. That's what their name now. Um, but they mostly own like a lot of like double A kind of studios. You know, mm-hmm. there's not a huge amount of like, I don't know that you know Sony would be interested in acquiring something mm-hmm. like that. You know, right. they're not all known for making like, you know, well regarded things. You know, they're just kind of like they have their audience, but that's kind of it. You know, mm-hmm. um. But I mean, does Sony even have the money to do something like EA? EA, it's, yeah, EA would be like crazy expensive. That would, uh, I, I don't. Mean, those sports games, we hate them. But they, may, I don't hate them. I I like uh, the. No, Pooch- I hate them, dude. I <laughs> I actually hate them because they are filled with predatory like they they, nowadays they are yeah like if you go back like 10 years sure they were fine they were inoffensive you know but now they have gotten so like yeah where you gotta like buy players and stuff yeah and it's you know they release the next year and it's literally the same game with some jersey updates and And, oh the the grass looks even realer than it did before it doesn't make a lot of sense i like the tiger wood games I like the PGA games. Um, I don't even know if they make those anymore. I don't, I don't See, I would imagine something like that probably hasn't been super bogged down with like microtransactions and stuff. Right. But like Madden, forget it. I'll never touch Madden. No. Um, the basketball 2K. 
that's yeah. that's bogged down. I know it's weird. Sony makes the premier baseball game. Did you know that? Sony San Diego. Oh, Showtime. Yeah, the show. Right. the show. The show. That's it, right? Which is interesting. A couple of years ago, Major League Baseball said this game has to start appearing on other platforms, or you guys don't get to make the MLB game anymore. So PlayStation Studios now publishes the show on Xbox and Nintendo Switch. Wow. Yeah. So like you can boot it up on your Xbox and it'll say PlayStation Studios. Oh shoot. Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, that was kind of a shock, but I guess, you know, rather it not be an exclusive and still make all that money. Mm-hmm. Um but okay, so I'm gonna throw one more contender okay. at you. Um, Why not think uh, you about? you tell me what you think, Epic. Sony has invested into Epic. They games. actually own a minority share. Yeah, it's a decent little chunk. Yeah, it's uh, it's I, I guarantee you it's in the single digit percentages. Right. Um, because I know uh, Tim Sweeney owns at least fifty one percent. Right. Because he's a majority. We know that uh, Tencent owns forty percent. Right. So that leaves maximum nine percent. Right. And there's and, a, there's a couple other people in there too. Uh. Or players. Some other company I forgot the name of. But yeah. Uh, so Sony owns like a small chunk. Right. Uh yeah. I don't just knowing Tim Sweeney, he doesn't seem like the kind of person who's willing to give up mm-hmm. Epic Games. He seems to really like being a player in the industry. He yeah. seems to like causing problems it, and if I don't know, if Sony threw a few billion at him, you think he's not gonna take it? Maybe, but I mean like I don't think I don't think Sony has that kind of cash lying around. Like not like their games segment is doing really really well, mm-hmm. but like other aspects of Sony, like their music and their TV and their movies and like their phone business is like not even around anymore. I don't right. think they might have like one phone on the market, but um, I don't know. I don't know how well. I don't uh, keep too close of an eye on like their stock price and stuff. Right. But, uh, I mean, they're certainly, you know, they're multi-pronged. They have more money available, but I just don't know that Sony is willing to, like, say, hey, have every cent we have to go buy this. Hope it works out for us. Right. And Uh, what are they really acquiring with Epic? Epic, well, they would be acquiring all of the subsidiaries that Epic owns. Right. Uh, I mean... Unreal Engine. Yeah. That's a huge investment there. That's true. Um, The Epic Game Store... I mean, yeah, they're they, getting, then game they, wise, they're getting Fortnite. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a huge but, revenue yeah, source. They're getting Fortnite and they're getting Unreal if they bought. That is almost like, I don't want to say it's enough, but that's, both of those are huge. I don't, it's not what I want to see. I don't want, you know, half their brand imagery be Fortnite because, you know, that's what would happen. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, Sony does have a movie arm. And like I was saying earlier, uh, you know, Epic games like uses their engine mm-hmm. for like movie and tv show production right um so i mean that could maybe help strengthen that aspect of sony yep definitely um you know i i wonder what epic games is valued at um let me see um april of this year um they have a 32 billion dollar valuation that's half of what microsoft paid for activision blizzard king yeah that well yeah yeah if they have let's assume sony has the 32 billion okay. um just because otherwise 
why even have this discussion? They wouldn't be able to buy well, so f- Well, I mean, see, my point is I don't think they can afford to buy one of these huge publishers. Mm-hmm. I think they have to look at studios like Bungie, where it's like, okay, we're acquiring knowledge, we're acquiring a popular game, mm-hmm. you know, but it's still in our price range. Who owns Gearbox? Uh, Gearbox. I... I think it might be one of those conglomerates. Yeah, it probably is. Embracer Group. That was the other oh, one okay. I was thinking of. Embracer Group. They they've kind of they went on a buying spree the last couple of years, and now all of a sudden they're like laying off people Lonely. at all their yeah. studios. And why do they do this kind of stuff? I mean, they even bought Limited Run Games. Yeah, which is like that was such a weird buy. Like when I heard that, I was like buying limited run games like they're buying a boutique physical games publisher yeah um and that made me worry that like maybe some studios would not want to work with them because maybe they don't want to essentially be published by like a a, massive corporation not not so much that more like uh oh gosh what do you call it when you're uh a competitor you know like because like for example, like Limited Run Games recently partnered with Sega and Atlas mm-hmm. to publish physical copies of Persona 3 and Persona 4 for mm-hmm. Nintendo Switch, PlayStation, and Xbox. These are previously digital only on the current gen consoles, and now they're getting a physical release. So it's essentially Sega using Embracer to publish one of their games physically. Right. Um, but it hasn't seemed to slow limited rundown at all. Right. Um, and they seem like they're probably still doing all right. I know they've had some issues this year. What uh, if Sony bought Sega? Well, you know, there's been rumors for a long time that Microsoft wants to buy Sega. Really? Yeah. I could see... Uh, Sega's probably a good choice because I don't think they're valued anywhere near as high mm-hmm. as... Like um, EA. Yeah. Um, another... Uh, option would be Namco Bandai. Namco Bandai is bigger than you think. Yeah. Um, but uh, I I could that would be a good middle ground between like an Ubisoft and a Sega. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, they that makes a lot of sense if they want a publisher. If they want like a developer, I think they should go for something like From Software. Mm-hmm. Um, who they already have a history of making games together, like Bloodborne right. for PlayStation 4. Oh, are they the guys that did all the Souls games? They did yeah. all the Souls okay. games. They just did Elden Ring last year, which was like the, really the first Souls game that went super mainstream and like got right. a lot of people to pick up the game and play. Um, I think they would make a good choice if they wanted... A developer, and they wanted to like just keep their games exclusive. Now, mm-hmm. because as we saw with the Microsoft and Activision merger, mm-hmm. um, it went it had to go through a lot of regulatory stuff. Right. So if they go for something like Ubisoft or, or EA, EA yeah, they're going to have to go through yeah. that whole. And then process. Microsoft is going to try to block it. And, yep. Yeah. Whereas if they go through, if they're just trying to pick up one developer, they won't have to go through any of that regulatory nonsense. Right. So I think. If we're gonna look at just developers, I think they're a pretty good fit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see, you know, there are some developers that do work with people like Sega who aren't owned by Sega directly. I mean, this wouldn't happen, but like Vanillaware—that's an example of someone who works with Sega, but Sega doesn't actually own them, right? Even though they seem to publish all of their games for them now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so yeah i mean anything is possible i do think we'll probably see something i don't think it'll be this year but i bet you sony does make a not earth shattering the way the microsoft activision blizzard merger was but i think we will see them make a a big developer acquisition Mm -hmm. but it's tough because in some cases they might have to like buy it from a publisher buy the developer from a publisher that happens yeah it does I mean, you know, you look at Embracer, they're trying to, like, get rid of stuff, you know, Mm -hmm. cut staff down, close studios altogether. Um, You know, it might be an opportunity to pick up someone that way. Yeah, true. Um, Yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, I do think that there, I mean, obviously, there's got to be pressure. That's not even really a question. Yeah, Um, I do wonder, is it... Is it right for them to just like, oh, we got to find something to buy, so uh, let's just buy something? Right. You know, is that the right move? Honestly, that yeah, that's a great point. They have so many, so much talent and so many resources at their disposal already. They have Bungie, they have Naughty Dog, they have Santa Monica Studios. They have all these people that could make something awesome. Yeah, that could make them a lot of money. I mean, you no one's asking. How about they don't buy or no one's saying how about they don't buy something right you know like i don't know i mean this is just another part of like there seems to be this fervor for like consolidation in the industry Mm -hmm. like some people are still really in the console wars mindset like xbox is my thing playstation's your thing and they're like cheering each other like they're oh like my guy bought this new studio yes we got another win you know and really what's happening is competition is shrinking which means the quality of products is going to decline at some point yeah with less competition and you know yeah i don't like that you know there's just less and less players right out there now no i say players i'm not talking about like the people that play the game i'm just talking about who's who's developing or you know who's publishing the games there's just less and less as time keeps going on right and i think that's a mistake but i mean this seems to be beyond games we seem to be going this way you know just these conglomerates that own a million brands you know that I guess video games is just heading towards that inevitable conclusion because that's what's happened in like every other industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it's you don't. Yeah, anyone cheering this on, I don't think un- ha- understands the big picture. Yeah, of how it impacts everything, um, and it it everyone loses in the end because this is how developers get shut down. Exactly. Yeah, your studio gets bought out. You have. You know, I, I see where it's tempting, you know. Now you now you have this sense of security. You know, like maybe but you have a flop game, like it's your like you just got bought out. Your next game doesn't go real big or it's just kind of barely makes its money back. Mm-hmm. Now your owner is like, "Hmm, was it really worth 5 years to make, you know, 10 million dollars or whatever how much money they made, you right. know? Like now let's just shut it down, you yeah. know. You know, there might be some studios that are being given a second chance. Um, but you, you know, a lot of times, you know, a one or two failures and that's it. You're done. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe you wouldn't have gotten to make that game to begin with had you not sold your studio. So mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's tough to say, you know, when someone makes that call, I just hope they're, they're doing it for the right reason when they decide to get bought out. Yeah. Right. It's, it's really the developers I worry about. Um, the conglomerates, you know, EA, Ubisoft, the parent company, yeah. I really couldn't care less as much, but right. it's the small developers that have 
the talent and the legendary, you know, gameology um, or gameography, I guess. And whenever these studios do get acquired, I mean, maybe the developers, the people making the games aren't affected with layoffs or anything like that immediately. Mm -hmm. But you bet a lot of, like, the the behind-the-scenes, like, HR staff and administrative accountant people, those people either get absorbed or they just get tossed aside because now they already have a parent company that's going to do all that accounting for them. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are always uh, people that get tossed to the side, um, even if they're not really the people we're super passionate about, you know? Right. Um, but inevitably, people are going to lose their jobs every time these, yeah, these murders that's, and acquisitions happen. that's what happen. happens with these... So we've got one more story we want to talk about, and it's not so much of a story as it is more of a just kind of something cool Sony did. They recently published a lot of their legacy game soundtracks to Spotify, and this just happened over the weekend. Um, these titles include Gravity Rush, which was originally a Vita title, Shadow of the Colossus for the PlayStation 2, Wild Arms for the PS1, I'm going to pronounce this next one wrong. Papalo Croy? Papalo Croy? Yeah, I'm not really sure. But that's uh, on various platforms. Uh, Soul Sacrifice, which was a Vita game, kind of like uh, when Monster Hunter decided to pull away from Sony and go to Nintendo, Sony was like, well, I guess we have to make our own Monster Hunter now. And I've heard very good things about Soul Sacrifice. Um, I think it really leans into like like European mythology Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. Um, Fantavision for the PS2, uh, Echochrome for the PS3 and PSP, White Knight Chronicles 1 and 2 for the PS3, Freedom Wars on the Vita, Patchwork Heroes for the PSP. Um, and so these are all now available for streaming, um, where, as they weren't previously. And if you don't know, video game soundtracks are often made in Japan. Oh, yeah. Um, they, they almost always get a CD release. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really good about doing that over there. Um, but they're often really, really expensive. Mm-hmm. Like, the game will have all the music in it, and the game is, you know, $50 or whatever. But then the CD, you know, the five-disc CD soundtrack is like 40 bucks. Yeah. And it's yeah. like, damn. The big, big stuff. And, dude, like, some of the Nintendo games, like, I own the soundtrack to Metroid Prime. Yeah. That soundtrack is probably worth over oh, 100 yeah. bucks. It's, and it's two discs. Yeah. You know. Um, they, uh, you know, I, I have a decent sized collection of physical game soundtracks, but particularly CD. I know a lot of people are really into vinyl. I have some vinyl um, video game soundtracks too, but yeah. I, I, for me, I always wanted to be able to have access to them digitally and I know getting vinyl on digital is like a big pain in the butt yeah. <laughs> you have to have a special rig to record it um, so I always like that I could burn the CD and then listen to the music you know on my phone or whatever And you know, but I, I love having the the actual CD too because it comes usually with like a unique like artwork for the cover mm-hmm. and then it, you know it gives me something to get signed potentially if I ever you know happen to meet the composer for the game yeah I was able to do that with uh, the Pokemon Red, Green, Blue, Yellow composer Junichi Masuda when I met him uh, at the Pokemon World Championships in 2017. Uh, I ha- I brought my Red and Green soundtrack with me, which he was really delighted to sign. 
even though it's uh, digital, it's still really cool of Sony to do this. They, you know, no one asked them necessarily. No, no. And, you know, for me, this is one of those times where I'm kind of like, when it comes to the convenience factor, mm-hmm. I'm almost kind of willing to, like, yeah. be like, you know what? It just kind of makes sense for music to be there at my fingertip. Um, you can't you can't collect everything. You know? No, no, exactly. And you know, when it comes to the soundtracks, they can be really expensive. They can be printed in really short supply. Mm-hmm. So some soundtracks will go for way more than like even the game is worth. Yes, yeah, some soundtracks only get released in like collectors editions and stuff. Too. Oh, those are the worst. Yeah. yeah. Where it's like, oh, you want the soundtrack CD? Well, it's only available in the yeah. two hundred fifty dollar right. edition. Of course. It's like, oh, awesome. Um, but uh, yeah, for me, this is really cool. Like, I'm a big Gravity Rush fan, uh, so now that I have the soundtrack, just wherever I am is is something I'm excited about. Um, you know, a lot of like we said in Japan, almost everything gets uh, a physical soundtrack CD. A lot of Nintendo games also get a physical soundtrack CD. Mm-hmm. But interestingly enough, Nintendo is like the one major publisher who has refused to put any of their music on any streaming services at all. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's a huge, major missed revenue opportunity for them, yep. first of all. But, uh, you know, a lot of fans will re-upload their music to places like YouTube. Yeah, and, yeah. and eventually these, these guys get copyright striked and, you know, their accounts get banned from YouTube and all that music will disappear. Nintendo has a deep rabbit hole of a reputation for their like heavy-handed copyright protection yeah more than anybody else they are very enthusiastic they have their lawyers that Mm -hmm. just sit there all day like refreshing like new uploads to youtube like just waiting to like strike it down it seems that way desist definitely seems that way um it's not surprising. It's well within their nature to not want their stuff on any third-party platform. And I wouldn't be surprised if they're holding out to stream it on the eShop in the future or something like that. Like, I I could see them doing something Maybe. like that. Maybe. You know, like I said, they release a lot of their soundtracks in Japan. Like, I don't, like, I don't know, like, why not? They get, like, if they put it on Spotify and people listen to it, they get money from that yeah. like it's free money i don't know if it's more like a they have so many composers and maybe they're worried about having to like pay all these people royalties mm-hmm. so it's easier just to like not have to do all that accounting mm-hmm. um so maybe that's their maybe that's their thinking about it i think they're just slow to get on the bandwagon of it's like true. new trends yeah you know I mean, we're, we're just seeing them now you know in the last few years open up to certain things that People you know, never would have imagined they'd yeah. be open to <laughs> that. Other like console holders and stuff were opening up to generations yeah. ago, like, multiple generations. Yeah. I mean, even their online infrastructure today is still behind. It is. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, their account system is still kind of convoluted. Their hardware still is behind. Codes. Like yeah, they're using like you know phone processors in their in their switch and stuff yeah. some of that is probably by design um, definitely you know but i yeah everything they do is just rigid and old guard yeah and they just have always been that way i mean you know they still manage to find success yeah oh yeah of course but i mean 
people I mean of all the major three publishers mm-hmm. who has the most memorable music who has the music you want to listen to yeah. probably more than any of, of them of course it's Nintendo probably Nintendo they probably have more well known music than any other like game franchises in history as far as like iconic themes yeah. and stuff yeah um, and, you know they're a lot of their games still have like songs and melody and mm-hmm. you know stuff going where it's not just like ambient background music although they have kind of leaned into that more recently with some of their games um so i don't i don't know i don't know why nintendo doesn't engage with something like spotify and apple music or even just letting people put the music on youtube and just monetizing it for themselves you know right. they have that right to yeah. to monetize to the claim music it. yeah but I mean, why not just let it be out there so people can call it up? I mean, like if I want to listen to a track from the credits of Metroid Other M, which is this beautiful orchestral track, like I have to either go, go to some shady website. You have to go find the physical CD, pretty much, right? Or, or I have to like, okay, they want me to boot up the game and go all the way to the right. end again and play through. That is an option. <laughs> you could just hook up a recording device to your audio jack. They yeah. can't stop. But I mean, that's like piracy, dude. You know, like, I mean, it's just for myself. If, if you distribute it, it is okay. I don't think it is if you just record off of your yeah, TV. Nintendo would probably consider it piracy, knowing that. Yeah, but they... they what are they going to do about it? They can't yeah. get you for that. Yeah. You've done, like, no, no damage to them. Right. Um, so, yeah, Nintendo is just this weird outlier. You know, you can find the music for every major game on streaming platforms now, um, but not Nintendo, even though they've got, like... Mario and yeah, Zelda right, yeah. and all, all these just I mean the the Super Smash Brothers soundtracks you know that brings up an interesting point Super Smash Brothers I apologize if you're hearing sirens and stuff in the background I think someone in my neighborhood like acquired a siren yeah, or something might be the because case. like two nights ago I was hearing the same thing and I was looking outside and I'm like there are no cops on our street at all where is this siren coming from um Super Smash Brothers Ultimate though has like a music player built into it Mm -hmm. and like you can actually like start playing music you can make playlists and you can like put the switch into sleep and it'll keep playing music in it if you have like earbuds plugged into it Mm -hmm. but who is going to carry around the switch with them just to listen to music that thing weighs like two pounds right um but I mean clearly they they make the music accessible yeah, it's like they they seem to want to, but don't want. I don't know. Yeah, it's I guess because it's in the game, you know, like they don't have to do any special distribution but for it. My my final verdict is just that it's Nintendo, and this yeah. is the way they are. All right. Well, I think we've run out of things to talk about. I just want to mention again that you'll be able to find. Uh, a, a corresponding blog post for this episode at the hyphen bitbeacon.com yep um, as with every episode yeah so by the time you're hearing this the blog post should be up along with the episode and uh, we'll be back next week I don't know if we'll record on Tuesday because it's Halloween yeah so it might it's up in the air at the yeah moment. We, we might uh, have our first episode next week be in November officially but uh, we'll be back then and transmission.